You're listening to Awaken with Angus Ford Robertson. Exploring humanity's greatest mystery, awakening through awareness. Hello, greetings and welcome. Angus here, Season 2, Episode 7. So last week, Pete kindly helped us unpack the issue of free will. We looked at whether free will actually exists and we inquired into why is it important to have a uh, an understanding of free will and the nature of free will when we're spiritually alive and awake individuals but this week we change tack entirely um, i'm thrilled to say pete uh, <laughs> he acquiesced, he went with it. I asked him a question, as you'll hear in a moment, um, very personal question, but just really asking him, what would be the one thing you wish you'd known back then? <laughs> What's the thing that, you know, you'd you'd grasped or understood uh, as a teenager or a 20-something that would have dramatically affected the rest of your life? So I'm not going to say any more on it for now. The question gets put, Pete answers it, he tells some beautiful stories. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you on the other side. I have most definitely got one more question that I want to put to you, Pete, which is, um, I'm just going to come straight out with it. It's this. If you could have known something... <laughs> Back, back in the day, I don't know, university, post-university, that sort of era, uh, one thing that would have perhaps really profoundly affected the course of your life, or, or maybe it's not one thing, maybe it's a few things, but what would it be that you wish you'd kind of grasped, as it were, back at the Harvard, Harvard Ashram School <laughs> back in the day? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, just take a moment to sort of feel into that. See what comes up. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned ashram school. Otherwise, <laughs> there's a lot of things I wish known at university about <laughs> girls. Yeah, there you go. That, that, a lot that's... of things. If I know this about girls back then. My life would have been very different. <laughs> we won't go into that. Yeah, yeah, that'll be a, that'll be the uh, the uh, the cuttings for for the floor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the ashram school. S several things come up, which are sort of already saying the same thing in one way or another. The mm -hmm. first thing that came up is Maya Baba. Mm -hmm. Don't worry, be happy. Right, right. Which is really, you know, what we've been talking about a lot. It's mm -hmm. the worry, the anxiety that stopped us being happy. I'd say no more about that, but it's just like mm -hmm. that was always yes. don't worry, be happy. It's like that sums it up. That. Period. Yes, that that's it. it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah, yeah. The second is that comes up is Lin Chi, who is the founder of one of the schools of Chinese Zen. Mm -hmm. um, he said, nowhere, nowhere to go, nothing to do, no one to be. Mm. And I've heard that many times. And it's like, each time I hear it, I say, oh, yes, wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. And... It's got layers and layers and layers for me that I wish I'd I'd known then when I first heard. I, mean, it, I think that's part of our own journey. I mean, what I noticed through my own time is 
suddenly, ah, oh, that's what was big. Ah, oh, that's what it's all about. Or, you know, I sink into a deep state of meditation. It's like, oh, this is what they were talking about. It's like layers of the onion continually being peeled off. Yes. Let me probe a little deeper on that, though, because I'm wondering... When you say that, I, I totally get what you're saying. Of course, I, I know that's true. You have been very productive in your life. You have produced some, if I may say, uh, some fabulous books, and you've taught all over the world. You've done some amazing things. Do you think, having known that, if you'd really known that, that the outcome perhaps might have been different? Or, I don't know, maybe uh, the books would have been... Uh, skewed that way or or maybe you wouldn't have written at all or i i don't know maybe think, there would have been effortless doing i don't know <laughs> no 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 um the books would have been much better my presentations would have been much better much deeper right because what i'm saying is you know the head comes in the head understands that quotation from Lynchy. the head understands it mm. but when it's um enlivened almost enheartened by our actual experience, it takes on a whole new, deeper significance. And so for me, if I'd, if I'd really got it as an experiential thing rather than understanding, that experience would have definitely um, enlivened, enlightened my work much, much more. It would have been much more powerful. I would have still, I'd have been even more wanting to write books, I think. Right, right. That's my take on that. It wouldn't have distracted. Because what it means, and this is, let's get back to this. Yeah. I forget the order, whether the order is nothing to do with it. The order he said it in, I often mm. quote, nowhere to go, nothing to do. Actually, I, I prefer that way. So nowhere to go, first of all, means we're not trying to get to some exalted higher flashy state of consciousness although that's where we often start and that's where i started there isn't anywhere to go where what we're doing is coming home you know we're letting go of all the stuff that takes us out into the world so there is nowhere to get to and this is the realization you know i've had deeper and deeper the layers of the onion it's like ah there really is nowhere to go it's here it's right here i've been striving to get somewhere and that striving has been keeping me away from the realization of coming home. Here I am. So if there's nowhere to go, then there is nothing to do. We don't have to go on, you know, long, whatever it is. You know, there are all these different enlightenment courses and things. We just have to, you know, it's the letting go, which you know, I always come back to. But there is nothing we need to actually do. And that's where we get distracted. If I just do this, and I just did this, if I just did this, then I would be free. So there's actually nothing to do. And there is no one to be. I mean, how much of our lives are spent trying to actually be somebody? How other people, we want to present ourselves. How other people see us is like so important. And so, and all in all that time in the other session we we're talking about free will there's that self you know that that self is really a self there we're trying to be a self there is nobody actually there to be anybody there is just this amazing incredible reality of experience and then when we let go we can just abide in it wow this is all going on i'm having the privilege of having this incredible set of experiences whatever they are whether they're joyful or painful or whatever but 
here, here it is. Mm. So, so that's that's how I interpret that. And there's different levels. Of, I mean, first of all, we, I'm talking about in terms of practice. The practice is we don't have to do anything. We don't have to try. We don't go. Then there's a second level, which is the the realization, which I've been talking about, which is like ah. There really was nothing to do. It was just, it was just letting go. So, so there's that level that comes true, and then then there's a there's a deeper level of just beginning to j- just living it, of just knowing. It's just yeah, yeah. Here I am. Here I am. Here I am. Always here I am. And this is going on. Now another aspect of this, which is the same sort of thing, but it ties in. And I know it's a story I've told you before. Mm. was way back in my early days of this when I was with TM and I was fortunate enough to have a position. I was actually head of the students' movement in England of TM. And so Transcendental I, meditation for transcendental those that don't meditation. know. Thank you, Transcendental <laughs> Meditation, the Maharishi yeah. Mahesh Yogi, the Beatles, all that yeah. stuff. <laughs> and I was, I was a persona in the organisation, so I got to spend quite a bit of time going and visiting the Maharishi when he was in Europe. And... Be, and there were often sort of questions we had to ask him about the organization. And so I'd, I'd often fly out to where he was in Spain or Mallorca. And one time I was out, and this was at his little, he had this wonderful little old castle hotel high up on a mountain. And this was actually in Switzerland, high up in the mountain in Switzerland, overlooking this incredible lake, you know, two, 3,000 feet below us, touring snow peaks the other side of it. And I was doing my PhD on, on meditation at the time. And I couldn't decide. There was somebody offering me a ride back to England the next day. And, I mean, I, you know, in those days I was a student. A ride back to England was much, much better. I, I wasn't training. I was actually, wasn't flying. I was either catching trains or hitchhiking. Someone offered me a ride direct back to England the next day. And thought, oh, that would be nice. That would be a great opportunity. And I can get back and continue my PhD and yet here I was sitting at the feet of the master and that was an incredible experience (laughs) which was more valuable and I was actually staying the room I was staying in in this place was actually the room above his room he was down he was in the room down below and I suddenly realized hey I've got the master living below me I'm trying to make I'm trying to work out this decision of what I should do when the master is there below me go ask the master (laughs) so I got an appointment to see him the next morning and the car was leaving in about an hour or two, and I had to make a choice whether to jump in the car or not. And I sort of laid out my alternatives about being here and what I was learning and how important that was, but also getting back to it and getting on with the work and how important that was. And he listened and listened and took it all in. And then he sort of sat in silence, just looking out the window across the snowy peaks, across the lake. And I thought he was giving it deep, deep, you know, cogitation. And he turned to me and he said, Either would be good. <laughs> it blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Of course, yeah. of course, either would be good. And yeah. I made my decision instantly. I decided, yes, I jumped in the car and went back to England. But it was yeah. like, but how often yeah. do we cause ourselves so much worry, frustration, anxiety, yeah. deliberation, confusion, Thinking about it, thinking about what should I do, what should I do, what should I do, and what I learned from that, if if neither option is obvious, it's because either would be good. Yeah. And yeah, then just follow really your intuition, 
and see which one. You know, if one is clearly good and the other's clearly bad, we choose it. Yeah, yeah. But it's yeah. just like it just. I just. I mean, when he said it, it's like. Oh. <laughs> it's just such a beautiful story, and I'm so grateful to you for for repeating it and sharing it for for folk to listen to. And I suppose it it. Um, well, not only is it something that everyone will resonate with, because we all get stuck on the horns of a dilemma. Should I, should, whether it's should I marry them? Should I not? Should I uh, sell the business? Should I not? Should I, you know, I mean, but it also speaks of this sort of, uh, I think it was Miles Davis, you know, there are no mistakes. <laughs> yeah. There are no mistakes. You just, well, go to the UK, stay here. There are no mistakes. Right. <laughs> they're, they're both good. <laughs> yeah. It brings mean, such ease to the body, doesn't it? Right. You may, in hindsight, see um, unwelcome consequences of the decision you made, but you didn't know that at the time. Right. Don't say, oh, I made the wrong decision. You made a decision to the best of your ability, and if they're both absolutely equal, you just you follow your intuition. I think, and what I've also learned in life, I mean, okay, is I never blame myself for following my intuition. Mm. I will blame myself for not following my intuition at times. Right. I like that. Say that again. So, okay, yeah, I got that. Mm -hmm. yeah. I never blame myself for following my intuition. It may not turn out right, but I, you know, right. I follow my intuition. Right. I often do blame myself for not following my intuition. It's like, oh, mm. I knew I shouldn't have done that. I knew that was wrong. Or I knew I should have gone there. It's like, but I didn't because I was worried about this or concerned or feared or whatever it was. Yes. So just, yes. just something I've just learned. No, that's a beautiful one to, to end on, Pete. And I, again, I think that will resonate with a lot of people um, because I think that is the case. I know that I'm guilty of that. Uh, often you'll have intuitions to do or to not do something and we ignore it at our peril because there is some deeper often some very deep wisdom going on. The body knows something or the emotions, the heart knows something. Um, and you're absolutely right, you know, to follow it. Even if it turns out that there's an adverse consequence from following your intuition, at least you had the courage to follow what the wisdom said. Right. And usually, usually it's yeah. for the best. Nearly yes. Always. And one thing I would add on that, just as a purely practical thing for people, yeah. if you have to make a decision, you know, you're not sure which, but you don't have to make it now, wait. Right. Sleep on it. If you don't have to make it till tomorrow or the next day or a few hours' time, mm. don't make it now. Just mm. let it sit there. And that way I think your intuition can begin to, don't think about it, but like your intuition can begin to say, hey, you know, this is what, you know, the nudge yeah. can come through more clearly. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Give it space. Let it breathe. That's a lovely place to end, Pete. Because it actually, I, I do hope we get to talk again um, next week. Because that is a beautiful segue into one of the topics that we haven't looked at yet, which is head versus heart and negotiating and navigating in a sense, what the role and purpose of, you know, one's noggin is versus one's heart, you know. And yeah. I, I I have both hands held up, uh, guilty as charged. I didn't really get that until mid-40s. Mm -hmm. 
no clue. <laughs> uh, so I'd love for us Mid-50s. to do it. Yeah, right, right. Well, yeah, exactly. That's probably more honest. I should probably go 50s. But it's something that I think would be a lovely thing to explore next time. Yep. And yep. Uh, if you're up for it, we will do it same again, uh, same time next week. Yeah. So that concludes episode seven. And once again, I'd just like to say thanks to Pete for for all his time and uh, his willingness to share these rather beautiful, poignant stories that uh, that he's been telling. Next week, in the penultimate session of this season of talks, we are going to go to this topic of head versus heart. It's something that comes up again and again, and it's such a a rich topic full of all sorts of interesting insights and learnings. So I hope you'll join me for that. Um, For now, have a great week. Wishing you well. You've been listening to Awaken with Angus Ford Robertson. To join my Awaken program, please visit angusfordrobertson.com.